Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Dr. John. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, well, since you guys are Christian thinkers... Sorry, I just want to leave that question. I wanted to get your input on that. Sure, appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. That's my question. So thanks a bunch. Thank you. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. This is Jeremiah welcoming you to another great broadcast where we're going to hopefully inspire you and encourage you to think deeply about the trending culture questions that are really all around us. Uh, we're inundated by questions from culture and that this program's mission is all about encouraging every single believer in Jesus Christ, uh, not only to love God with their heart, soul, and mind, but have a conversant faith, an informed faith, where you can discuss these questions in a comfortable, winsome way and know that answers and uh, definitely the, are always rooted in the answer, the person of Jesus Christ. We show you on this program why we should go to God's Word instead of Google. Well, I want to ask you a question right as we begin. Is Christianity good? Is Christianity really good for the world? This is an important question that I'm going to discuss today with a good friend of mine by the name of John Stonesry. You've probably recognized his voice if you listen to this network, Faith Radio Network, uh, with any regularity because John Stonesry gives us this wonderful culture commentary through his Breakpoint broadcast. Um, we're going to have a conversation that ebbs and flows on this entire theme for today's program. Is Christianity good? Is it good for the world? It may be true. There may be rock-solid evidence. I say often on this program that the scales of truth always tip in our favor as believers in Jesus Christ. But is it good? Um, and one of the things I want to talk to John about on this program is I have so many individuals, especially young people, who don't see Christianity as being relevant to their life. Um, I was speaking to students from Florida Gulf Coast University, and I'll never forget a student there said, I am unlovable. They just simply saw the message of God loving them as irrelevant to their life. So how do we show that Christianity is good? How does it intersect everyday life? Uh, these are the discussions that I hope to have today with John. And again, I want to remind you, if you're just joining us, this is a weekly program on Faith Radio. So definitely subscribe to the podcast. However you do your podcast, just search for Jeremiah Johnston Show. Subscribe to it. Thank you so much uh, just for all the reviews. We're in our first year of broadcasting. It's hard to believe we're coming up on our year anniversary of this program. It's going by so fast. We have conversations with the world's brightest thinkers, but the show is really navigated by the questions that are submitted to me. You might say, well, how do you choose the guests that you have? We really choose it based on the questions that are submitted through our website. And since you're joining us perhaps for the first time, you can submit those questions at www.askjjj.com. 
Com, askjjj.com. And so at our ministry, Christian Thinker Society, uh, we sift through the thousands of questions that we receive on a variety of topics, and then we pray through who are the best guests to engage with this conversation. But we always base the answers within the framework of a biblical world and life view, which, of course, the answers come right out of the Word of God. Um, now, I just finished filming yesterday in Nashville, Tennessee, at the state capitol. I was just blessed that we've been able to film there an entire new Bible study with Lifeway Christian Resources. And the Bible study is called Answers to Tough Questions. And I'm answering six more questions. And they are, does absolute truth exist? Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Uh, The second question, aren't all religions the same? I mean, what do we say when someone says, oh, you know, we all worship the same God? Another question, "Is, is there a God? Another question I answer, is Jesus God? And then I dive deep into this whole question of the power of personal testimony. How powerful is your personal testimony as evidence for the truth and vitality of the Christian message? And then finally, I just loved it, friends. I was able to teach through the book of Jude, which, of course, can be read in under four minutes. Jude, the brother of the Lord, who tells us that we should contend for the faith. There's a lot of Christians who ask me lately, do do I even need to defend my faith? I mean, isn't that your job, Jeremiah, for us? Aren't you kind of our faith defender, you and others, a few Delta Force Christians? Well, not really answer that question because Jude said that we're all to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And as I pointed out, uh, Jude may have been the first Christian artist because when you read the descriptors he uses, 36 from verse 4 to 19, 36 very colorful descriptors about his thoughts about false teaching in the church and when the church is compromised, wow, he may have even been the first Christian rapper. I'm serious. Go check it out for yourself. Um, So that's the Bible study that's coming. Again, it's called Answers to Tough Questions. We filmed it yesterday. I wrote it uh, just a couple of months ago. Um, So be, be sure and pray for that project as it is released later this year. We've got to step away for a break. I've got John Stone Street holding for us. And plus, don't forget to submit your questions to me, askjjj.com. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the program. This is Jeremiah, and I'm delighted to have our very special guest joining us today on Faith Radio Network. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast afterwards, you're probably going to recognize his voice. I am joined by John Stone Street, who serves as the president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. John, say hello, and thanks for joining us on the program. Hey, thanks, Jeremiah. It's always good to talk to you, and even better, live on radio here. Well, great to have you. Um, those of you who may not be aware of John Stone Street, um, he's a sought-after communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's a specialist in the area of faith and culture, theology, worldview, education, apologetics, and as I already mentioned, the daily voice of Breakpoint. And I want to encourage you all right now to subscribe to his email and to connect with John on Twitter at J.B. Stone Street. That's at J.B. Stone Street. Um, I, at Christian Thinker Society, rely on his commentary daily 
such thought-provoking articles, John. The research that goes into you educating and resourcing the church is just excellent. Uh, so I appreciate you for doing that, and I want to encourage our entire audience right now. We have, we have really two audiences. We have the live show right now on Faith Radio Network and listening both in the Central and Eastern time zones. And then we have a whole different audience of people that have subscribed from all over the world on the podcast for the Jeremiah Johnston Show. So wherever you're listening from, joining this program, subscribe to the podcast uh, and definitely uh, check out um, John's ministry. Check out the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. John, I want to jump right in with something that um, I'm concerned about, what's happening with the persecution of Christians in China. And I have had a passion for this. My wife, Audrey, and I visited, started visiting mainland China, meeting with really leaders from the underground church uh, right after we were married. So going back 15 years and to see what's happening now, can you just update our audience on what's happening with the persecutions of Christians globally? And what are we to think about this? How, how can we think biblically about this with our worldview, with what's happening right now, especially as it relates to China? Well, look, it, it, it's unfortunate that this is a timely issue, and, and it's accurate to say that it's been a timely issue for you know a decade now. I mean, we are kind of like in the sixth or seventh or eighth year in a row where the year that is the most, uh, you know, per, the, the year w- with the most persecution, the most martyrs of, or so on of Christians around the world is this year. Uh, 2016 was outdone by 2017, which was outdone by 2018, and and there, there's no sign that 2019 is not going to outdo it again. So this is a global phenomenon. And you mentioned China in particular, and of course China, the persecution there, the pressure there on, on believers has been at some level constant, but has is, has kind of ebbed and flowed in, in intensity. And you've got now a, a leader that's using language, that's putting in mm. policy about national loyalties and mm. so on, uh, and using the kind of language that we haven't seen since Chairman Mao. And now there's a technological tool uh, in terms of being able to track believers, which is making them incredibly efficient into finding churches, finding underground believers, uh, underground churches, finding these believers, and certainly targeting Christians that are there uh, from abroad. It's it's a dire situation, um, and it's uh, and it's getting worse. And, and, and by the way, it's not just Christians, as you know, Jeremiah. Um, you know, Muslims are being sent to re-education camps, and and that that's got to be alarming. Anywhere we do not see uh, religious freedom, uh, you obviously see persecution on the other side. So you know, again, it's it's coming at, well, from a worldview perspective, as you know, it's it, it tends uh, this this level of religious persecution tends to come from um, countries dominated by uh, radical Islam or Mm -hmm. radical secularist governments. And Christians seem to be the targets over and over and over again. And that's that's really troubling to me because on the one hand, we have a church that has gone breathless, winded, um, in many in many cases anemic in the West, and yet the church is surging with growth in non-Western countries. My friend Richard Bauckham pointing out 70,000 people a day are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to ask you as a culture expert, John, and friends, I want to encourage you to pick up John's book, A Practical Guide to Culture, Helping the Next Generation today's world. I know as a father of four, John, and you know, you really have ministered to thousands of youth, both at the summit and just in all of your speaking around the world. When I think about China wanting to ban 
young people, 18 and younger, from attending churches. When I think about the fact that in some instances they're using artificial intelligence, facial recognition software in the churches, what are we to make of this? I mean, is there hope for the next generation? I mean, when you think about the fact that China has produced their own Bible that conforms with communist principles, they have removed, friends, if you're not aware of this, they have a now China-endorsed Bible. Of course, it's removed the Ten Commandments. Anything that goes against, the, really, the communist manifesto is removed out of the Bible. I mean, John, help us sift through this. How are we to think about this? Well, I hope it drives us to our knees. I just wrote a commentary uh, just recently on really calling on the Trump administration, who's been so good at religious freedom here in the United mm. States, really closing the doors to, to Christian refugees from around the world, uh, You know, calling on them to, to kind of react. I mean, I think that this administration, for example, could both uh, fix – uh, you know, seal, seal the seal the border, right, and 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 do what a country needs to do and to protect its borders, and at the same time be welcoming to those who are facing religious persecution. And and and, and you know this, Jeremiah. You probably have had this question as well. Uh, you know, on Twitter, I think this time it was, well, you know, Christians should endure their persecution, and we shouldn't actually. You know, they should stay there, and we shouldn't do anything to help them mm. because this is the cross they have to bear. And you just think. I don't know where that theology is coming from, but it's – I, I mean if there's one thing that we should do, it should be to pray for our brothers and sisters. And yet we also know that God uses persecution to deepen and strengthen the church. But it's a good right. thing to hope persecution comes. And by the way, this is – one of the things that this should lead us to, in my view, is to continue to fight uh, for the protections uh, of religious That's freedom right. here in the United States because – it is really Christians in America primarily who are standing for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, and it, it's because we have this kind of in, you know, kind of innate experience of religious liberty. We want our brothers and sisters to experience that. We have the capacity and the bandwidth to look around the world. And if Christians here do not stand up for persecuted religious minorities around the world, they're going to lose a huge advocate. I mean, America, for example, hosted a ministerial last year on international religious freedom. Uh, Sam Brownback has been on our program as the international ambassador for religious mm -hmm. freedom. That's one of the reasons we should care about religious freedom here so that we can continue to care about and fight for and stand for and do what we can for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. But, you know, look, Jeremiah, you said this well. The thing we should never underestimate, though, is the power of prayer, that mm. God is using his church, and he's, we're watching it explode. And the church in the global south um, yes. certainly in many ways puts the rest uh, of the church in the global north, particularly the west, to shame. And so we should learn from them as well. So we should pray for them. We should do what we can, and we should learn from them. Um, and, um, you, you know, but, but disinterest um, – praying for persecution. This, this stuff's crazy. Yeah, uh, we need right. to do what we can do. 
Yeah, this indifferent attitude. And, you know, John, I want to share with you something that Audrey and I experienced in our first trip to Beijing. We were the gentleman that gives leadership to over a 1,000 clandestine missionaries in China. We had to wait two days for an unmonitored bus. I mean, this was like something out of a movie. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction in many cases. And he said to us something that actually was a, was a glimmer of hope. Now, again, this goes back, I guess, 15 years now, right, after Audrey and I were married. He said, friends, I want to tell you something. In spite of the fact that it took us two days to get an unmonitored bus, in spite of the fact that the persecution then was happening, uh, he said, everything you read about in the book of Acts is happening right now in the church in China. I've mm-hmm. never forgotten that, John. And so can you just talk for a minute, though, about you, you touched on this a moment ago. And, friends, I do want to encourage you again, subscribe to Breakpoint. Sign up for all the emails of the Colson Center of Christian Worldview. This ministry exists to equip you and resource you with a thinking faith. That's why I just love the partnership that Christian Thinkers Society has with the Colson Center of Christian Worldview. Um, John, talk for a moment about... Uh, as Christians, I mean, when I read Acts 26 and I see that the Apostle Paul took the opportunity to proclaim and we see that word defend three times in Acts 26. He didn't have to. He had appealed to Caesar. But Paul takes the opportunity. He's eager to defend his faith in front of Festus and King Agrippa. Um, talk to Christians who are listening to you for a moment how we should take opportunities to stand for the gospel and stand for our faith in our own communities. Uh, I mean, it's it's part of the history of the church from the very beginning. And, you know, it, it, it always strikes me that when you read some of the early uh, apologists in kind of the first, second century, whether we're talking about Tertullian, Justin Martyr, that they were defending two things. Number one is they were defending the truth of Christianity, and second, they were defending the goodness of Christianity mm. for the world. And so you, you you know read these guys saying, you know, hey, Christians share everything except for their wives. You know, that's why you don't want to persecute yep. them. And they're the best citizens you have, and they're not throwing away little babies. They're saving them, and, it, and it's mm-hmm. just a, kind of an amazing testimony. And it, it's just part of the historic Christian experience to find our faith at odds with the larger culture and then being forced to say, no, this is actually true, and, and I'm appealing to you as someone – who has found truth, and I want you to find truth too. I was stunned. We talked about this on Breakpoint, Jeremiah, this past year. Uh, I was stunned by the example of our uh, brothers and sisters in Cuba this past mm-hmm. year. So obviously Cuba, another very close country. Also the, the freedom there to, uh, you know, to worship has ebbed and flowed in, at, to different degrees and, and so on. But you know, the, the, the nation of Cuba was considering same-sex marriage. And, you know, of course, here in the States, when that whole debate happened, one of the most stunning things was the number of Christians who refused to, 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 to right. clarify where they stood on the historic definition of marriage. And, you know, I remember as we were actually uh, writing on this, Sean McDowell and I wrote a book on this back in 2013 and heard from a megachurch youth pastor who said, oh, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Wow. That ship has sailed. I mean, this was before Obergefell. I'm like, well, even if you agree with same-sex marriage, how can you not talk? I mean, to not talk about it is Mm. a dereliction of duty. What stunned me, Jeremiah, though, about Cuba is that this brought the Christians out in droves to protest and to instruct the government, do not change the definition of marriage. And, and it struck me like if, if there's one group of people that do not want the eye of Sauron, you know, the communist Cuban <laughs> government turned towards them, you kind of want to lay, lay low, keep below the radar. You know, this is the nation that for 10 years 
banned the celebration of Christmas, and they just got that back not that long ago. (laughs) Here you have Christians that were saying, nope, this is worth standing up for. And, 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 of course, the penalty that they faced was an increased systemic persecution. And I thought about the Christians here, and the penalty that we faced was the loss of a pension. You know, the penalty that we faced was, you know, not being invited to the next cocktail party. (laughs) That's what we need to learn. You know, that's what we need to learn from our brothers and sisters around the world is that what we mean, and and you do this all the time, Jeremiah, what we mean is when we say Christianity is true, is that it's actually true. Like gravity, it's true, right? Mm -hmm. Like this has to be where we plant our feet and we can't be ashamed of it. Friends, we've got to step away for 90 seconds. Our guest today is John Stone Street. I want to talk to him in our next segment about two questions. What is he excited about right right now that's happening in the larger Christian movement and what's perhaps most concerning? Stay with us. We're going to be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Our guest today is the president of the Colson Center of Christian Worldview, John Stone Street, the sought-after speaker and an excellent author. I want to encourage you to have your entire shelf of John Stone Street books, as I do. Uh, John, this has been a fascinating conversation so far, and we've been talking about the goodness of Christianity. Um, and as somebody who really has their hand on the pulse of just what's happening right now in the faith, can you just share out of the laboratory of your heart and what you're seeing in ministry? I have two questions for you. What are you most excited about right now when you look at what's happening in Christianity? Just pick what you're most excited, what gives you the most hope. Secondly, I want you to share as a challenge to our audience what's most concerning. And I just want you to please be transparent. What concerns you right now? What keeps you up at night as the president of the Colson Center of Christian Worldview? Yeah, I mean, that's a loaded question. I mean, we spend our time talking about so many different cultural stories and so on. And one of the things that uh, my co-author Brett Kunkel and I wrote in our last book is the difference between those kind of cultural trends and stories, what, what we call the waves, the things that you sense and you feel and you know about, and then the undercurrents of culture, the things that are shifting dramatically. And, um, and, and, and so th- that makes so many of the – th- I think the right answer to these sorts of questions th- to be things that maybe kind of go unnoticed. I mean I, I could sure. talk, for example, things that encourage me. Right now, um, you know, the, uh, the governor of Ohio signing the heartbeat bill, right? Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing now is Christians actually gaining some ground on a legislative level. And taking seriously this idea that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it, it, it doesn't mean that the issue settled any more than it was settled when Roe v. Wade was put into place. It just means that the real battle goes to local communities and to the state level. And I'm encouraged that Christians seem to be getting that and they're jumping in, and I wish more would. And so that's a kind of a, a specific issue. But the, you know, the, I think under under all of that, and, and you've written about this in, in, in your latest book about kind of the the history of the Christian contribution to the world. And it's a terrific book, um, uh-huh. Jeremiah, w- which is that it always encourages me when Christians join the trajectory of Christians throughout history in running into the brokenness and not away from it. Mm. Um, you know, we, we I often, when I speak, ask a question that I borrowed from a a quirky little film series from the Acton Institute. Uh, the question is, what is our salvation for? 
Um, we talk so much as believers, and it's good stuff, what we're safe from, which, of course, is sin and death and hell, and that's all important things to know. And we talk about what we're saved to, eternal life, um, you know, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I mean, these are important things. But what are we saved for? Why, why are we still here? Why doesn't God take us to heaven the moment that we're saved? And the answer, Second Corinthians 5, says that we're reconciled with God to be given the ministry of reconciliation. And historically, we've seen that with early Christians, you know, saving the little baby girls thrown out into the backwoods to die by exposure. We've seen it from, you know, Christians running into the legislative fight around the issue of slavery. Uh, we've seen uh, Christians running into the plague instead of away from the plague. And in our day today, I was, uh, you know, I, I know you were actually directly affected by uh, Harvey, right? Hurricane Harvey, That's if right. I remember that right, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, you and your family were actually yeah. evacuated. I love yeah, the we were told to put our to go on the roof, John. And I was like, well, how do we get triplets on the roof? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a logistical challenge. <laughs> it's hard to and be rescued. Young, too, right? They were young <laughs> yeah, back then, yeah. right? They might hurt themselves being rescued. Yeah, they were 13 months. Sorry oh, my gosh. Uh, what a great – I'm trying to imagine that as a dad just going through a blizzard just a couple weeks ago. It's yeah. just funny. But, but, but the cover of USA Today said, you know, if um, – you know, if you're receiving assistance from FEMA, more than likely it's going through the hands of a Methodist or a Baptist or a Mennonite or you know something like that. That's and, right. and this is the church being the church in the world, and, and so that encourages me um, that the compassion is still there, that the activism is still there, that the concern for others is still there, and I and I think it's at an encouraging place. On the flip side, what concerns me is uh, is that with all that activism and all that compassion is there, sometimes it's not accompanied by the same level of willingness to go into the brokenness of ideas in our culture. Mm. Um, you know, we, we, you talk about this, we talk about this all the time. We, you know, that phrase ideas have consequences. Yeah. We've added chapter two, which is ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And, um, we have, you know, talk about the sexual revolution. The victims of these bad ideas, unborn children, uh, women, who are told that sexual freedom will bring them freedom and it just brings them abandonment. Um, you know, basically children who are being experimented on, whether, you know, from no-fault divorce, you know, kids need happy parents, not married parents, to the transgender ideology, which is, you know, your internal sense of who you are makes your biological realities irrelevant. I mean, these are, these are crazy ideas that That's flow right. against history and reality and biology, not to mention the Bible, Right. And so many Christians just aren't willing to get their hands dirty in those ideas, and we got to because that's where our culture is. And so that's probably what concerns me the most is kind of a theological illiteracy, which leads to a fear of these sorts of crucial cultural topics that we're just not willing to jump in on. That is such a great point. I love that. The willingness, friends, and I want to just restate it, to go into the brokenness of ideas and, John, you're exactly right. I want to affirm the point you're making. It's such a strong point that every single Christian love God with their heart, soul, and mind. And what that means is to be able to have a literacy to culture. John, it concerns me we're not just living in a culture of confusion, but there's so many competing voices. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, I recognize we live in a time when skeptics have taken the microphone, and I want to take it back. And I hope every one of you listening wants to take the microphone back. 
And when I think about the fact that Adolf Hitler drank deeply from the well of ideas, the poisoned well, I would say, of Nietzsche, that remember what Nietzsche said, you know, he believed he was a huge proponent of eugenics, something that Plato actually originated, this whole idea of being well-born, certain certain groups of humanity were far superior than others. And so, according to Nietzsche, it's okay to cull the herd of humanity. You know, somebody might have thought, oh, well, that's just him writing a crazy book until someone like Hitler comes along. And as John said, rightly, there are great consequences to these terrible ideas. Ideas matter. And, John, I want you to just talk to us as parents for a moment. We have many moms and dads listening to us, listening to us discuss right now. How can we inculcate a biblical worldview with our young people? Because I know you and Brett have written about this, and I know that you just you, this has been your, one of your life messages as well in your great ministry. How can we inculcate biblical worldview? Because our kids are not going to get it anywhere else if we don't bring it in the home. Oh, that's right. I mean, I, I often kind of mourn the fact as the dad of three daughters, whom I love deeply, um, you know, that they are told from the moment that they enter culture to the moment. Uh, as, as, as babies to the moment that they, you know, die, essentially, that the single most significant defining aspect of who they are is there some, some sort of internal sense of, you know, their sexual wishes and identity mm. and attractiveness. And, and, and listen, no one's preaching that, aver- uh, you know, overtly, but no one's preaching a counter message to right. what's being assumed widely in culture. There's a C.S. Lewis line, uh, and I've never been able to find the source of this quote. Maybe you could find it for me. You're a great <laughs> researcher, but it sounds so much like Lewis. It's got to be him. Uh, but it's that uh, you know the most dangerous ideas in a society aren't the ones argued, but the ones that are assumed. And mm. these, this is one of the things that we try to help parents understand, and one of the first so places good. to begin is – even when you, even beyond having skeptics take the microphone, right, which is certainly more common than, than than not, we live in what you know some sociologists have called a disenchanted society. In other words, mm-hmm. a society where it's assumed that faith in God is some matter of personal private preference, and that faith itself doesn't even deal with public truths about reality. So before you even get to the conversation about you know. Can we have a public conversation about where God exists? You're doing it in a culture that assumes that the belief in God itself is not one that belongs in the public square, at least in not any sort of defining sense of reality, that you're not talking about facts. You're talking about feelings sort of thing. Um, So so parents need to understand that if you don't have this conversation and all the conversations around faith and culture and all the ways that it takes root, right, whether it's, you know, whether we're made in the image of God or whether we're sexually determined, you know, whether there is a right and wrong or that there is no right and wrong, whether there, you know, is a God or not a God, uh, you know, whether history's headed somewhere, whether it's not, all these fundamental philosophical questions, the culture's having those questions with your kids all the time. Uh, you can't not have the conversation right. uh, because right. the culture is having it, even if it's not what you hear out loud, it's having it in the assumptions that are embedding themselves so deeply. Uh, so there's got to be a level of intentionality. Um, we, it's no longer an option. Uh, you, you work, Jeremiah, with a lot of Christian schools and colleges, as do I. And, of course, one of the mantras that so many of these schools have embraced is, you know, we teach kids how to think, not what to think. Unfortunately, for a lot of these institutions, it's really a cliche. It doesn't really happen. That's right. But what we tell parents is if you do not teach your kid how to think and how to discern, they are destined to be brainwashed. Like – there's not a middle ground here. That's right. People either help them discern or they'll be brainwashed. So there's got to be that level of intentionality. And I'll say this, this other point on how we do it 
Uh, well, two more points. Number uh, the, the, the first of the two is good news. The mm-hmm. resources are out there. This is the golden age Amen. of answers, of people that have written really important works that help deal with the fundamental questions of our day. So if you don't know the answer, it's not because it's not there. Sometimes some of us struggle with bringing it down to where parents can really digest it and communicate it. You don't have that problem, Jeremiah. All your books are consumable and repeatable and conversationable. (laughs) I don't think that's a word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. Um, All your books are like that. So that's great. Um, And and, and there's so many like that, whether we're talking about our friends, you know, Jay Warner Wallace or Sean McDowell Mm. or Brett Kunkel, or we're talking about organizations like Axis or Summit Ministries, whether we're – I mean, there's just so many resources out there. And then the final thing is is it's got to be a conversation. Um, All the technology in our students' lives have moved from a kind of pushing a one-way – communication like television is one way radio tends to be one way but you start talking about social media and podcast and television on demand and you know the 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 instagram following of uh, of uh, internet stars and you know fashion design you know what do you call them fashion there's a word for these people who just get on and talk about why things should be popular yeah you know what i'm talking about i can't remember the name i'm not cool enough to remember the name but everything in their life is creating a dialogue a conversation and you got to have a conversation with your kids. It's got to be an ongoing conversation. Don't let the conversation stop. So good. And, friends, I want to just add a P.S., and I'm not normally a P.S. guy on this show. We have so many pastors, John, that listen to this program, and I think one of the complaints that I've received through now receiving 20,000 text message questions are just not hearing these ideas discussed enough from the pulpit. And so I think what John is doing in this program is just showing us not only are we well-resourced, But we've got to hear it from the pulpit. We have to have our local pastors, our Bible study leaders speak to these issues. And, you know, John, I speak in a lot of hostile environments. And, I mean, I have people walk up and say, you know, my pastor, as you said a moment ago, related to the whole issue of transgender or one of the sexual identity issues, you know, they just don't touch it. They don't speak about these issues. And there's a lot of you know, Instagram famous pastors that would just never touch this. And so, friends, we have to read the entire counsel of God's word. God calls us to be light in the darkness. Think of John 1.5. I've been thinking about that while John's been speaking, that literally the darkness, I love that Greek word, katalabano, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, friends, does not have the ability to tackle it or take it down. Light always prevails, but listen, we have to let it shine. Now, we've got to go to a break. I'm going to be back in 90 seconds with our final segment with John Stone Street. Don't change the channel. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And those of you joining us across Faith Radio Network Live right now, it's just a joy to have you with us. And if this is your first time checking out the Jeremiah Johnston program, go ahead and subscribe to the program. Uh, Just like we're hearing today, we have conversations with the world's brightest and I might say coolest thinkers about trending questions of our culture. And don't forget, you can always submit your question to me over at askjjj.com or christianthinkers.com. Of course, my guest today in this final segment is John Stone Street, who's the president of the Colson Center of Christian Worldview. Definitely connect with him on Twitter at JB. 
Stone Street. That's at J.B. Stone Street. And I also want to encourage you definitely uh, to add his book, his most recent book. He's author of several. Uh, but I want you to add a practical guide to culture, helping the next generation navigate today's world. So often, as we've talked about on this program, people think that Christianity is the answer of yesterday's questions, not today. And John and Brett do a great job uh, just equipping the church how to have these conversations about uh, really navigating culture, especially as it relates to the next generation. John, what I love so much about your commentary is that there always is hope. Um, there's some of these um, email lists that people have put me on. They're almost apocalyptic every single day. I mean, we just right. the sky is falling, and you always leave us with hope in your commentary. And in this program, you've done the same thing. You keep coming back to the fact that Christianity is indeed good. And that's actually the theme of this year's Wilberforce Weekend in Washington, D.C. And full disclosure, friends, I'm one of the speakers. I'm so excited to be there. I, of course, I have met John in my travels, both Colson Fellows and individuals who have been uh, so inspired just by attending the Wilberforce Weekend. Talk to us for a few minutes about what the Wilberforce Weekend is and how people can register if they want to come join us in person uh, in a, in next month uh, in Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's an annual conference that really was founded, as most of the initiatives in our organization were, by the late Chuck Colson. And Chuck Colson had this great line, and this is why we want to be defined by hope. And, and in fact, I think he kind of borrowed it from uh, a thinker named Richard John Newhouse. But the line is, is that Christians have not re uh, sorry Christians have not right to despair because despair is a sin. And Christians have not reason to despair because Christ is risen from the dead. And you put those two things, and our Christian worldview, if it's not a hopeful way of looking – and I don't mean optimistic. I don't mean happy-clappy. I don't mean kind of your best life now, like things aren't really bad in no. our culture and that serious issues aren't going on. I mean hopeful, and I mean a biblical sense of like First Peter sort of always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, not that you feel, but that you actually have because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And so this gathering in D.C. is always around helping Christians think well and jump in an engaging culture with that same sort of hopeful perspective. So we do everything uh, from do kind of very serious equipping conferences during this weekend event in Washington, D.C. Uh, we celebrate the life of someone who's made a big difference this year. It's Mama Maggie, uh, mm. an amazing uh, person who has worked in the slums of Cairo bringing the gospel of Christ there. Uh, for a couple of decades now, and and then we lock in on a specific theme or a question. And, and Jeremiah, you've written a tremendous book that talks about the influence of Christianity in history. Like imagine if Christianity had never existed, that Christianity historically has been good for the world. That's what we're going to wrestle with, because I think that's a real question today from so many people, is that even if, okay, even if you can kind of show me evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and that the Bible is a historic, uh, you know, you know, an accurate historic witness yeah. and that, that the evidence for God is more compelling, you know, is, is, is Christianity good for mm. gays, lesbians, and transgender folks? Is Christianity good for women? Is Christianity anti-science? It's even having conviction about controversial issues like marriage, life, and religious liberty. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think that's where the pulse is right now, that a lot of young people in particular 
are struggling with that. Even if it's true, I don't want it because it's not good. Well, I think Christianity has been good for the world, and I think it still is good for the world, and we need to be able to have that conversation in addition to here's how I know it's true. Such a good point. So powerful because so many people that I work with and have the opportunity to engage with, they see Christianity as just simply irrelevant to them. It's this point of indifference that you made in our first segment today right. in our conversation. It's, you know, that's really good for you. It's, it's this relativism of that's great that that's your truth, but I just don't see how that intersects my life. And John, I, I just talk for a minute. There's a real, when people respond that way, they're actually betraying their knowledge, their lack of knowledge about so many of the amenities and rights and privileges they enjoy in society have, I mean, come out of the cut and thrust of the Christian movement. And so this, this weekend, and it's, I want to make sure you get it down, friends, so you can register. It's May 17 to 19, and just go to Wilberforce Weekend. Dot org. That's WilberforceWeekend.org. You can still register. This will be the largest one, I think, thus far in the history of the Wilberforce events. Uh, but talk for a moment, if you would, just about just the fundamental understanding that we do believe Christianity is good for the world. And just what are some footnotes on why you believe that, John? Well, I think there's one fundamental reason. I mean, I think we can talk about all kinds of things, and I, certainly just the offer of salvation. That's good. If, if you're a sinner and under the wrath of God, even if you don't believe that you are, if you are, Christianity is good news because it gives you salvation. But if you talk about it even more um, kind of historically speaking, I remember Chuck Colson used to say that the most significant contribution that Christians have made to the world, other than the kind of the salvation message itself, is the idea that humans are made in the image of God. You can go to Frederick Nietzsche, and he'll say that the very concept of human dignity owes its existence to, the, to, to Christianity and to mm, Christianity's so application of that idea. Uh, more recently, Luke Ferry, who wrote a book called A, a Brief History of Thought, it's kind of an intellectual history of Western civilization. He's an atheist philosopher at the University of Paris. And he actually says that Christianity introduced to the world the idea that uh, that all were created equal. And he goes mm -hmm. on to say, listen to this, it was a revolutionary idea at the time and one to which the world owes its entire democratic inheritance. I mean it's mm -hmm. a stunning yeah. line that he says that without this sense of common humanity – I mean we even see it in our founding documents, right, that – we hold these truths to be self-evident that we're equal, and you look around a room, and it's self-evident that we're different. So where do you get that? It can't be based on anything on the outside. It's got to be based on something shared on the inside, and that's what Christianity philosophically gave the world for the first time. Obviously, the Judeo-Christian idea that, that, that humans were made in the image and likeness of God. So we have a shared value, a shared dignity, and so that's where the concept of dignity comes from. Now. Jeremiah, you've written a tremendous book about what happens if Christianity had never been here. And I, I think it was didn't – you, didn't you watch A Man in a High Castle? Is that where yeah. that book came yeah. from? Uh, yeah, My exactly. Wife and I are just getting real real spiritual that right? okay, I reason. That's where I remembered it. <laughs> yes. It, it was, it's a fascinating concept. Like what if the Nazis had won the war? What if Christianity had ended in the war? Well, what we have now is we want to keep human dignity. So you hear every social cause use the language of human dignity, but so many of them want to untether it from the ideological foundation that it has. In fact, the only source that was ever able to sustain human dignity, if you untether it from that, then human dignity itself becomes an unsustainable concept. And, you know, it's kind of the classic in the name of tolerance. Some people get, you know, 
aren't tolerated like Chick-fil-A. Yeah, exactly. That's going to happen. That's going to happen on a human level where some people are going to get left out of that category of human dignity. Now we already see increasing. We already seen that it's the unborn. Increasingly, we're seeing it's the infirmed, um, those with disability. uh, You know, the doctor. You you talked about eugenics. The Mm doctor-assisted suicide movement marching across Western culture right now is doing it because we now have an idea of human dignity that's tied to fun, function, experience, you know, self-interest, and it's not tied to a universal definition. So we're increasingly going to draw the line in a different place to keep more and more people out of that. So powerful. Friends, these are the discussions that we're having at the Wilberforce weekend, so definitely register, check it out, connect with John Stone Street. John, this may have been the fastest program in the history of the Jeremiah Johnson Show. Um, will you come back because there's so many other things I wanted to discuss with you, plus your own unanswered question, but we are just simply out of time. So can we just make it, uh, uh, can we just set it up right now? You'll come back and see us again. Hey, yeah, consider it a deal, and I, I, I love talking to you, brother, and so love what you do. Well, hey, we praise the Lord for you, John, and we're going to connect with you on social media. And friends, again, connect with the Colson Center if you haven't already on their email. I'm going to be back with our final segment, taking your questions. This is the Jeremiah Johnson Show. Don't go away. Back to the program. I'm going right now to your questions that you've submitted to us at askjjj.com. Zenaida asks me, Dr. Johnston, what if God was petty and unforgiving like us humans on earth? Well, Zenaida, um, that is an alternative reality, an alternative fact that I, it's hard for me to even imagine just because it's just simply not true. What is so great about God is the word of God actually says, I'm not like you, <laughs> you know, his creation. I change not. I am the Lord. I change not. God is immutable. He's unchanging. And his character cannot change as our character changes in Ida. And one of the passages that often comes to mind is that scene in Matthew chapter 18 where Peter just asked Jesus a very important question. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who forgives, who sins against me? And remember, Peter said, this will be familiar to some in our audience, well, should I do it up to seven times? And that was thought in that culture to be truly generous. You know, you just didn't forgive someone more than once in Peter's day and age in Judaica. But so to go and do it seven times, you know, that was seen as really generous. And Jesus has this profound answer. He says to him, no, I tell you not just seven times, but 70 times seven. As Christians, we are to be known as great forgivers. And I think that this is a powerful reminder to us that we don't form God in our image. We are formed in the image of God, but we don't form God in our image. The God is immutable, as I already said. And when the scripture says that God loves us and forgives us, I love the force of the Old Testament word kesed. You might um, look at it and spell it out in English. Let me think here. C-H-E-S-E-D, kesed, a kesed love. That would be the English transliteration of the Hebrew Over 250 times, God loves us and forgives us with a great compassion. He doesn't love like we love. He's able to see beyond our sins. He's able to see beyond our shortcomings. And he loves us with this passionate compassion, a chesed love. God's love and forgiveness for us cannot fail, fail Zenaida, because God himself cannot fail. God is love, so God's love cannot fail. Um, This is such a powerful passage, then, that we see mirrored in John 3.16, 
I think it's a passage that many people quote often, and they don't really understand the force of for God so loved the world. Um, that he loved a world, the force of the Greek, with, with a, the world's fist is stretched out towards God. You know, a world that is angry with God, a world that is against Almighty God, that is the world that God chooses to forgive and love. And Zenaida, that is what makes Christianity radically different from all of the other religious counterparts. No other religious teaching talks about the fact that we should love and forgive our enemies. And I have seen this play out, Zenaida. I've published this in my book, Unimaginable, my last chapter in Unimaginable, What the World Would Be Like Without Christianity, is the amazing story of Dan and Lynn Wagner, who forgave the intoxicated driver who killed their two daughters in a vehicular accident instantly. Dan and Lynn were both in the car. Everyone's seatbelts buckled, but Lisa, the driver of the vehicle, was both drunk and high. And yet Dan and Lynn found it in their heart only because of Jesus Christ to forgive Lisa, the driver of the vehicle who killed her daughters. And essentially, Lisa and Dan and Lynn go around the country now talking about the great power of forgiveness. And so this is something we only see reflected in Christianity. You know, in the writings of the of the Islamic tradition, the Islamic trilogy, the Quran and Sunnah and Sirah, and, and that is the Sirah and the Hadith, you know, God God doesn't forgive people that are bad. Allah doesn't forgive people that are bad. Allah only loves and forgives the good people, the good Muslims, the adherent Muslims. What do we see with God, our, the, with the true God, the only God, the God of the Bible? We see him loving and forgiving. It's such a powerful thought. Thank you so much, Zenaida, uh, for the question. Um, friends, um, I've got to go now. Our, our time has gone way too quickly for the program today. There's so many other questions that have been submitted that we'll get to in the coming weeks. You can submit those to us. I, I respond to them via email. We read them out and answer them here on the program. And don't forget to check out our books and resources at ChristianThinkers.com. We have several Bible studies there for you to take advantage of, books, resources that help you think deeply, but also, most importantly, engage the world around you with the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ. This has been another program um, here on Faith Radio. I can't say enough this week, especially during the share about how God is using Faith Radio. So I do want to say a final word. Thank you so much for your support of this great radio network. We'll see you next week on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play, RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.